Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Our New Testament passage comes from Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us the promise that is here in this very passage, that you, Spirit, groan with us, that you intercede for us. And so would you take these words, Spirit, and would you um, deeply embed the promise and the hope uh, within our hearts? And would you change us, Spirit? For you alone, you alone are the agent of God's sovereign change in our lives. So remember this promise here and do it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the final series of a three-part series on uh, the three groanings from Romans 8. We have seen the groaning of God's creation. We have seen the groaning of God's children. And now today we see the groaning of God Himself. The answer to our groaning is a God who groans with us. But his groaning is unlike ours. Ours is a helpless groaning. In fact, groaning itself is the expression of helplessness, is it not? Groaning is what you do when there is nothing left to be done. When you reach the limit of your the limits of your abilities, when you see that what must be fixed is in, unfixable, when, when, when we realize that our sufficiency is indeed insufficient, when we truly come face to face with the reality of our utter helplessness and literally all we have left is to simply groan. That's what we have been exploring the past couple of weeks because that's where we find ourselves. 2020 is the year of groaning. 2020 has been nothing but compounded crisis and in many ways all we know to do is groan. That's not to say that we give up. We try. We really do. We do what we can do. But then comes the realization that what we are able to do is unable to do what we want it to do. And so we groan. But what if I told you that the groaning itself is actually one of the most powerful things God's people can do? Romans 8 calls it groaning. Theologically, we call it lamenting. We have forgotten the power of lament. Lament is an acknowledgement that all I have to offer is my sadness. 
All I can do is be broken over brokenness. And biblically speaking, lament is a very powerful thing. Because our lament invokes God's lament. And God's lament, unlike our lament, can actually do something. When we properly groan, we ask God to be burdened with what is burdening us. And we ask God to fix what we cannot fix. And in our passage, what we see is a God who is willing to do just that, to answer our groaning. When we groan, God groans. And God's groaning is not the cry of desperation, but help to the desperate. We're going to see this in three ways. The source of our help, the nature of our help, and the surety of our help. Let's start with the source. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the likewise connects us to last week's passage, which is a part of the bigger passages on groaning. And last week it ended by saying, we wait with patience for our groaning to be answered. And then Paul says, likewise, meaning we aren't just waiting with patience for a future hope, but that there is more to the story of our waiting. This is, in in essence, another answer to our groaning. And it's this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God has not left us alone in our patient waiting. Instead, He is with us. He has given us His Holy Spirit to sustain us as we patiently wait. Help is the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry. We learned this from Jesus when we uh, studied the Upper Room Discourse from the Gospel of John. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to His followers and He describes the Spirit as what? As our helper. That is His part in our salvation. And yes, He, the Spirit, has a part to play. Though often ignored and forgotten, the Spirit is instrumental in our Christian journey. From beginning to end, and there is no end, but from beginning to eternity, He is behind it all. However, unlike the Father's work and unlike the Son's work, it is very easy to misunderstand the Spirit's work as our work. His work is our help. But don't misinterpret that as assistance. If I fall fall down, you may need to assist me. You may need to help me up. But if I collapse unconscious, then you're going to need to say, someone call for help. The latter is the nature of the Spirit's help, a sovereign help, as in we are helpless, but the Spirit is our helper. Why did you choose to follow Jesus? A surface answer would be because you chose to. But on a deeper level, why? Answer, according to John 3, the Spirit blew upon you. He gave you ears to hear the gospel as precious and beautiful. He gave you eyes to see Jesus as lovely and sin as ugly. 
He gave you a new heart that submits to the Lord Jesus and trusts Him for His salvation. And all of this help of the Spirit culminates in a spirit-wrought decision of the will and confession of the lips that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. I trust Him. I choose to follow Jesus. Of course you choose, but behind your choice is the Spirit. But, and here's the point of our text, we never outgrow our need of the Spirit's help. We are not born again by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. And then he says to us, okay, Christian, you can take it from here. Not at all. He indwells us. He abides with us. And he sees us through to our glorification and even beyond. Our helper never stops helping us. And Paul is saying that includes our frustrating in-between groaning. We groan, but Paul says it's okay to groan. It's okay to groan because the Spirit is with us in the groaning itself as He was when we first believed. Now, you might say, it doesn't feel like He is helping. Well, we need to understand the way in which He helps, which leads me to my next point, the nature of our help. For, here's why we need need His help. For, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The helplessness runs so deep that we don't even know what to ask for. Have you ever considered that we are so weak, we are so limited, and we, that we don't even know what help we need? We are familiar with this in our children. Not only do children not have the power to help themselves, they don't know how to help themselves. They don't know what they need, meaning if they did have the power to care for themselves, they still wouldn't know how to help themselves. They still would not have the comprehension to do so. And so it is for us. We are finite creatures existing in the ambiguity of our circumstances, limited in our um, perspectives and understanding. And, And speaking candidly, we just don't have a clue what is best for us. We think we do, but we don't. And so Paul is saying, even in our prayers to God, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. You know, you want to talk about um, a complete and total dependence here. It is not just that we can't help ourselves, it's that we don't even know how to ask for help like a child. And I think 2020 has made us keenly aware of this. I don't even know where to start with all this. I mean, sure, I pray, I'm praying, but it's so overwhelming. I don't even know what to pray. I don't know where to start. Well, in this remarkable verse, Paul says, that's okay. It's okay to be that weak and dependent, to simply groan. Why? Because the Spirit can handle it. Continue on. But the Spirit Himself intercedes. We don't know how to pray, as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, notice first what our helper, the Spirit, does not do. This is not the nature of His help. He does not fix our weakness. We are left in that posture. 
He does not fix our circumstances. We are left in that struggle. He does not give us divine revelation so that we can understand what's going on. We are left in ignorance. Instead, he prays for us. The manner of the Holy Spirit's help is the Holy Spirit's intercession. And not just any intercession. It says he groans on our behalf. Paul likens the intercession of the Spirit with the groaning of the Spirit, meaning the Spirit joins in with the chorus of groanings that we have been discussing the past couple weeks. Now, what this means is that his intercession is not a distant, proper, detached, unsympathetic prayer. You know, dear God, please help this poor person that seems to be struggling. No, his intercession is an intimate, desperate, authentic groaning on our behalf. This is the difference. There's a difference when you pray for those struggling and when you pray for those you love who are struggling because such is the nature of love. People, not surprisingly, ask me to pray for things all the time, and I'm glad to do so. I, I, I do my best to take those requests seriously. So someone you love needs prayer, and you reach out, hey, could you pray for this person? And even though I don't know them, I will certainly pray for them. But when it's you, when it's someone I know, when it's someone I love, I'm not just praying, I'm groaning. There is a deeper um, earnestness and steadfastness to my prayers when it involves someone I love. And this is how we are invited to imagine the prayers of the Spirit for those who God loves. Now, isn't that amazing that God is praying for you? Just stop for a moment and take that truth in. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. McShane is right. But I would take issue with the idea of Jesus praying for us from a distance. He isn't praying for us from heaven. He isn't praying for, for us from the next room. He is praying for us by His Spirit abiding within us. This is the essence of the Spirit's ministry. He prays for us, and He prays for us in a manner that goes beyond our capabilities with groanings too deep for words. What Paul's talking about there is that our speech is limited. Our minds are finite. Our needs go beyond our ability to articulate them. But the Spirit is praying for us in a way we can never pray. Groaning with a divine language that is too deep for our words, a language that goes beyond our language, a Trinitarian language that only God speaks. Now, at this point, you might be tempted to say, well, it doesn't seem to be working. Perhaps he is praying for me, but it appears his prayers are going unanswered. If this is help, I want better help. Well, I suppose that depends upon perspective. From your finite, limited point of view, this may be true. But from the view of the omniscient who is infinite in wisdom, this ministry of the Holy Spirit is perfectly effectual. Let's close by looking at the surety of our help. The Spirit helps us in our weakness by praying on our behalf. And then verse 27, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, this is deep and mysterious, but so, so powerful and comforting. 
we know that God searches the hearts of His people. Our Old Testament reading this morning, O Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my coming out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, You know it completely, O Lord. That's some intimate knowledge. You are known by God more intimately than you could ever imagine. He is always searching, always perceiving, not with the eyes of a critic, but with the eyes of a father, or a good father if you had a overly critical father, a father who loves. He is, he is knowing us in this way. This means that he is familiar with your longings, both spoken and unspoken, familiar with your desires, both perceived and imperceptible, familiar with your groanings, both acknowledged and hidden. But do you know what else he finds as he searches the hearts of his people? He finds himself, his own longings, his own desires, his own groanings. Admittedly, we are standing on very mysterious ground, but what the text is saying is that God searches the hearts of His people in order to perceive His own will for His people. That's what he's saying here. He who searches our hearts knows or discovers or finds, is this connotation of the Greek, discovers in our hearts what is the mind or what is the will of the Spirit. And so the picture we are given is this. The Father sends His Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of His people, who then prays for His people back to the Father. So in a sense, God perfectly prays for us and then answers His own prayers for us. I'm not pretending to know how that works. We are exploring holy Trinitarian mysteries. But that is what the text is saying. God indwells us by His Spirit so that He can intimately discern perfect requests to offer to Himself and perfectly answer those requests. I have no idea how that works, but I know I want it to work this way. And so should you. Do you really want a God? You want, you want, do you want a God whose will is contingent upon your finite wisdom and understanding? Do you really want your prayer life to dictate the terms of God's providence for you? I know you think you would like that, but you don't. It's not what you need. It's not what you should want. Would you not rather have God handle it? You see, the intercessory ministry of the Spirit is the ground of all surety. If what Paul is saying here is true, then we literally cannot fail, which is where he goes. Continue on. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not your will, His will. Not your desire, His desire. So here is the confidence, dear child of God. At all times, you are being perfectly prayed for and God is perfectly answering those prayers. You cannot escape His will. If you knew all that God knew, you would pray exactly how the, how the Spirit is praying for you right now. He says that we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. But if we did know how to pray as we ought to pray, we would pray exactly how the Spirit is praying for us right now. But the point is, we don't know. God knows. And God is praying. And God is answering all according to God's perfect will. All of that is the foundation of the verse that we love to quote, the next verse in Romans 8. 
that God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. The only reason we can have that verse, which we love so much, is because of this verse, this mysterious verse that the Spirit is at all times interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. That means that all things work together for those who love God. Now, I know this raises so many theological questions, and I'm going to ask you to do something that is very hard for us reform folks to do. Um, I'm going to ask you to suspend those questions and simply rest in the surety of promise. God is at all times interceding on our behalf and answering those intercessions with His good and perfect will. Instead of trying to figure that out, just rest in that. That's what you need right now. You don't need answers. You need promise. And there is no better promise than this. So just take Him at His word and trust this promise. You are not forgotten. You have not been abandoned. You have not thwarted God's plans by your failures. Your groaning is not senseless. It is heard and He joins you in that groaning, which means you are right now in this moment wrapped up in the thoughts, desires, and prayers of the triune God. You may not understand how this is so, but the point is that God does understand and that is enough. So, is that it? Just trust God is groaning with me and for me? Actually, no. Here is my application to God's praying for us. Here's my application to the promise that God is praying for us. Pray to God. Now, you might be tempted to say, if this is, all of this is true, then why should I even pray? And I say, because this is true, you should pray. Let me explain. The discipline of prayer in the church today has been grossly manipulated and aligned with the consumerism, consumerism of our age. This is one of the benefits of our world imploding in so many ways is that I think it's going to change the prayer life of God's people. In a consumeristic age of wants and comfort, our prayer life tends to follow that. Dear God, here are my requests, here are my needs, here are my wants. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you view prayer exclusively as the means to get what you want, to change the mind of God, to align with your mind, to determine the outcomes according to your will, not His will, then yes, I would agree with you. Prayer seems pointless because we see in this text that God is praying for you already according to His will, and that is how He will answer prayer. But if you view prayer the way Scripture views prayer, if you view prayer the way saints of old practice prayer, if you view prayer the way those who lived as a persecuted minority and had no illusions that, that they were going to get their wish list from God did prayer, well, then you would view it as a communing with God, as a stillness before your God, as the God-ordained means of intimacy with God, as a way of listening to God and becoming more aligned with His will rather than aligning His will to yours, 
If you believe that right now the Holy Spirit indwells you and is alive and active interceding for you and that through prayer you can enter into that mysterious conversation and experience it for yourself, if that's prayer, if that's prayer, then you should be excited for the next opportunity to get alone, turn your cell phone off, be still, let your words be few, and commune with God's Spirit in prayer. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Presenting your request before God is a part of prayer. It is not all of prayer. It is a part of prayer. But even then, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition, present your request before God. Okay, so there it is. So don't be anxious. Instead, pray to God. Pour your heart out. Ask Him for things. But then what does he say? He says, what will happen? God will do what you want? Nope. A peace that transcends understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We are petitioning God, not so much to get what we want, but trusting that by casting our cares upon our Father, we obtain a spirit-wrought peace in the circumstances that cannot be understood. But even still, I realize I'm qualifying prayer to death here, but it's important. Even still, yes, you are to pray, and yes, God does often answer prayer requests. Do you know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit took your feeble, limited words and presented them with perfection to the Heavenly Father. You know when a child is learning to talk and you try to, try to engage them and they speak and it just to you it sounds like a bunch of gibberish? What do you do? What's the first thing you do when you're trying to engage a child and you can't understand what the child's trying to say? What's the first thing you do? You look up to the mom because you know what that mom can do. The mom interprets for the child. She says, well, you know, what he's trying to say is this, this, and this. The mother knows the child so intimately that she knows what the child is trying to communicate. In fact, even if the child isn't take, talking, the parent knows what the child is thinking or what the child is needing and communicate that. She can take, a mother can take a child's groanings, a mother can take a child's mumbling and perfectly translate it to us who speak her language. This is the picture. We groan. We groan with the language of the finite, but the Spirit speaks the language of the infinite. He is our interpreter to God, which means pray with childlike abandon. It is not dependent upon your eloquence, your pristine theology, your accurate perception of God's will. Just pour your heart out to God and don't worry about it. The Spirit who really does care, who really does consider your desires, will take what you say and present it acceptable to God and often answer our finite requests. So, what should we do with the good news of a God who groans with and for us? Yes, we should rest in that promise, but we should also groan to God. Groan to the God who groans with you, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that our groanings are heard and our groanings are perfectly answered according to the perfect will of God. Let me pray. And so, Father, we groan to you. 
We pour out our hearts with childlike abandon, knowing that, that the Spirit indwells and that He who searches our hearts discovers what is the mind of, of the Spirit and the will of God, and that somehow in all of this you are just perfectly taking care of us, even when we cannot understand or perceive that. We just trust it, and may you enlarge our prayer life because of this promise. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.